This is Dr. Jimmy Nichols, equine nutritionist. On this podcast, we will explore unique cases, debunk popular myths, and break down advanced research data. Join me for a little fun, a lot of science, and some real-world advice for feeding horses. Welcome to episode 126. It is Dr. Jimmy. Earlier this week, I was a guest presenter at the 2023 Equus Summit Conference, which was a virtual conference offered to horse owners free of charge. I was able to get my hands on the audio recording of this presentation, so I'm going to go ahead and play it for you guys today. Now, I will admit there are a few places where having the slides to look at will drastically improve your experience. So if you'd like to watch the video version, you can go find that at the Equisummit website. Go to the sign up page and register. Um, Even though the event is over, you still will get access to replays, not only of my presentation, but of all of the presentations that happened this week. So I will be sure to drop a direct link in the show notes. All right, let's get on with the replay. Hello, everyone. I am so excited to be here today, and I really appreciate all of the work that Kevin has done to provide this amazing conference and this opportunity for the horse community. I am a huge proponent of educating horse owners, and more importantly, my personal goal is to empower horse owners with knowledge so that they can make the best decisions for their individual horses. There is nothing more frustrating to me than seeing some of the keyboard warriors out there on social media making these just blanket feed and supplement recommendations for horses that they know absolutely nothing about. So my hope is that as more and more horse owners take advantage of continuing education opportunities like this conference and like podcast platforms like Feed Room Chemist, my hope is that we as horse owners can start to level up our knowledge in equine nutrition. And hopefully the decisions that we make around our feed programs will start to lean a little harder into scientific evidence. And maybe we can even get away from being fooled by paid testimonials and marketing gimmicks. And if we're really lucky, maybe we'll even be able to uh, spot the good old fashioned self-proclaimed nutrition experts out there and take them for what they are. I think that you will notice an overarching theme of this conference really is around understanding and managing horses with metabolic related conditions. So there should be some really great presentations over the course of this conference. And I'm sure that at some point, someone is going to say, Hey, that's what my horse is dealing with. And then the next thought is going to be, so how does that affect their nutrition program? And this is where my presentation comes into play. So if you happen to find yourself caring for a horse that is dealing with metabolic related diseases, so things like obesity, insulin resistance, dietary induced laminitis, uh, muscle disorders such as PSSM, uh, maybe pituitary disorders like Cushing's disease, or even just the plain old super easy keeper, this presentation is definitely for you. So anyone who has gone down the rabbit hole of learning how to try to properly manage the dietary needs of these types of horses has likely heard things like, don't feed sugar, avoid starch, make sure the feed is low NSC. And maybe you've even heard someone say something like, that horse needs to be on a carb-free diet. While there is some truth embedded in each of these statements, I 
I want to take things a little bit further today and help establish some actual parameters that you can apply in your programs. So let's start by understanding the common denominator, sugar. As they say, sugar is the root of all evil, right? It's almost as true for horses as it is for humans. So let me back up one step and remind everyone that a little sugar is good. Simple carbohydrates, for instance, are completely necessary for life functions. So you would never want to completely eradicate sugar from the diet. And in all honesty, it's impossible for a horse to be on a totally sugar-free diet because even the hay and the grass that your horse eats is made up of carbohydrates, which are broken down into sugars. So keep in mind, like the horse's brain and the cells within the body have to have glucose in order to function. So it, it always makes me cringe just a little bit when I hear people say that they need a quote, zero sugar diet for their horse, right? There is no such thing as a zero sugar nutrition program. Okay. Now there are certainly zero sugar ways to supplement your horse's diet, but no total diet can be completely free of sugar because I mean, your horse has to consume fiber and fiber is made up of carbohydrates and nearly all carbohydrates contain at least some level of sugar. So hopefully that makes sense. So what are we really trying to accomplish with these horses then? What we are trying to accomplish is limiting the total amount of sugar that they consume, right? So many metabolic related diseases and syndromes actually won't develop until a horse overconsumes sugar. And many of them can be managed nicely if you can get the diet under control. In fact, um, a horse's body really behaves very similarly to that of the human body in terms of how it responds to, uh, let's call it poorly balanced diets and overconsumption of simple carbohydrates and sugar. So I find that sometimes it's easier to start with a human example and then translate that over to horses. So imagine someone who eats appropriately. Okay. The hand on the left, they take in appropriate types and amounts of nutrients to meet the needs of their body relative to their age, their size, and their activity level. Um, you know, they, they might have a sweet treat every now and then, but they're never going to overdo it for long periods of time. Okay. Now, on the other hand, I want you to imagine someone who overeats at every meal or the meals themselves might be small, but they're not balanced correctly. Right. So maybe desserts are a daily staple. Or, you know, midday pick-me-ups like iced coffee and soda and sugary energy drinks. Um, they're just, they're always in existence, right? So a person can eat like this for a day or two and not have detrimental effects. But if this is daily life, then the compounding result will cause this person to become overweight and eventually even obese. In fact, the overconsumption of sugar can eventually develop into type two diabetes, where the body fails to produce adequate levels of insulin, um, which is supposed to counterbalance the amount of sugar or glucose that's bombarding the bloodstream each day. This same phenomena occurs in our horses. And the unfortunate part is that it happens right under our own noses and we don't even realize it. So overweight horses have become so common, it almost feels normal. Nobody likes to see a skinny horse, right? But many of us have just gone too far in the opposite direction. There are very serious health risks that are associated with obesity in horses. And I really think that we need to be more diligent when it comes to managing our horses' diets, okay? So 
in the past, I have shown two photos like this to people and asked just the simple question, what do you think of these two horses? Not leading them in any direction. And an all too common response is the one on the left is underweight. The first time I heard that I was blown away because my real intention in showing these two horses originally was to address how grotesquely overweight the horse on the right was. So the horse on the left is actually at an ideal body condition. So this made me realize really quickly that many people don't have a good feel for what fat looks like on a horse, right? There seems to be a constant push to put on more weight, to add more top line, to develop the hindquarter, to have a thicker neck or whatever the case may be. But I rarely hear anything about pulling weight off of a horse or about managing for an ideal body condition. So in these two pictures, the horse on the left is an athlete. He is fit. The horse on the right is basically a couch potato just waiting to pull a hammy if someone were to actually make him do anything athletic. So how does a horse get to this point without us even realizing it? Well, first things first, we see our horses every day and it's hard to notice change, right? When we see them every day, that change is so gradual. We don't take notice of it. So I have two young children and I promise it seems like I can go away on a trip for a week and not see those kids. And when I get home, I swear they have grown an inch and matured by two years, right? Like kids change in front of our very eyes every day. And we don't notice it because we're too close to the situation, but I can go look back at a photo of my kids from six months or a year ago, and I can't believe how much they've changed. And the same thing happens with our horses. So let's take this situation. We have a horse. We think they might be a little bit underweight. So we put them on a new diet to try to increase their weight. And then we just never take them off of that nutritional surplus. And then we also seem to never notice when we've gone too far because we see the horse every day and we don't realize how much extra weight we've put on them. And then all of a sudden, one day our vet or our friend makes a comment about how fluffy our horse is. And we almost take offense to it. Like, no, he's not. He's a hard keeper. I've been trying to get weight on him. He's just now looking good, right? Like, it's funny how we will absolutely go to battle to defend our overweight horses. But honestly, we need to get more serious about helping them get back to a healthy weight. And in all honesty, I know this might sound funny to some, but as a nutritionist, I actually would prefer to see just a hint of rib on a horse. It is much more serious and, and, and it is a much more serious and difficult situation to work with a horse that has fat pockets, right? So I would, I'll take ribs, a hint of ribs over fat pockets any day. And while I'm being honest, the reason I find it more difficult to work with obese horses is because there's almost always a management situation that underpins how the horse got there in the first place. And the reality is changing someone's management strategy is way harder than getting them to add an extra scoop of something at feed time for a horse that is maybe just a little underweight. All right. If I say your horse needs to be managed to an ideal body condition, what does that look like? So the ideal body condition for a horse 
is a five on the Henneke scale, which is defined as moderate. So for the sake of time, um, I'm not going to dive into all of the nuances of this system, but uh, there are guides and there are drawings on the internet that you can look at to see the visual differences at each score. But the gold standard in addressing body condition in a horse is the Henneke scale. It's a one to nine scale, which measures fat deposits on the horse. Now, I want to be very clear. This system has nothing to do with muscle mass or actual body weight. Okay. It is a visual assessment of specific areas where fat will accumulate on a horse, regardless of age, gender, or breed. Okay. The specific areas where horses will deposit fat are along the spine, at the withers, over the crest of the neck, over the ribs, behind the elbow, and then also at the tail head. I want to point out that a hay belly or a bloated belly has absolutely nothing to do with how fat a horse is. Okay. That's a really common misconception. A hay belly is just a bulky poorly, uh, digested fiber taking up a whole lot of space in the GI tract, right? It's not reflective of your horse's body condition in terms of fat deposits. So that's another reason why the Henneke scale is the gold standard across all breeds and all disciplines. It looks only at fat. Now I do want to flag. I, I did notice a lot of people online are posting scales um, and body condition pictures on the internet that are on a one to five system. I just want to make sure everyone understands that is not the Henneke scale. Okay. So if you're going to throw out a number, like my horse is a five or my horse is a three, make sure that you are actually looking at the Henneke scale and not these made up systems. Um, I'm not sure where these made up systems came from when I think someone, you know, probably just got creative and started making up their own stuff. So just pay attention to the images and the charts that you pull up. You want to make sure that you're grading your horse off the true Henneke system, which is a one to nine range with five being ideal. Now, one last thing I want to point out on the Henneke system is that the quote ideal can shift slightly based on the horse. Okay. For example, if you have a race horse or an endurance horse, their ideal may be closer to four or four and a half. Okay. You don't want them carrying any extra weight. And if you have, let's say a reining horse or a rope horse, right. Their ideal may be closer to a five and a half or a six. Right. So, so based on discipline, based on, you know, desires of judges in the show ring or, or whatever the case, um, some, there is some flexibility. There is some wiggle room there based on what you're doing with your horses and the workload and intensity that they're under. But take home, you should never have a horse that's knocking on the door of either of the extreme ends, right? So you don't want any horses that are in that one to three range. And you really don't want any horses that are in that seven to nine range. Okay. If that's where things can start to get dangerous. Okay. So once you are armed with the understanding of what your horse's body composition should look like with the Henneke scale, now you can begin to address the actual diet. And this is where things get really fun, at least in my opinion. So as a general rule of thumb for a horse with a metabolic condition, we want to keep total diet NSC around 12% or less on a dry matter basis and 10% or less on an as fed basis. 
okay, what is dry matter? What is ASFED? What is NSC? Like I can hear some of you asking this right now. So dry matter just refers to the values after moisture has been taken away. Um, basically what that does is that it, it allows nutritionists to compare feeds and haze more equally because some feedstuffs are wetter than others have carry more moisture in them, which can, um, alter the nutrient amount. So if you pull that water out, you can look at those analysis on an equal basis. So that's what dry matter means as fed means you are looking at the nutritional values of the food with the moisture still included. Um, in other words, if you're looking at NSC values on a dry matter basis, 12% is your max. If you're looking at NSC values on an as fed basis, we want to be closer to 10% NSC for that total diet. Okay. So then NSC, what does that stand for? NSC stands for non-structural carbohydrates. This is simply the amount of starch and sugar added together. Now, almost every food a horse eats will have some level of NSC with the exception of, you know, oils or a supplement that's maybe just like strictly vitamins and minerals has no carriers. Um, but in other words, anything that has carbohydrates or fibers in it is going to contain, <clears throat> excuse me, some amount of starch and sugar. Okay. Now you are armed with the understanding, the, the, you understand the target for your horse's body condition with the Henneke scale, uh, which is five. And you know that you need the total diet to be 12% NSC or less. And just for the sake of keeping everything easy, I'm going to talk dry matter basically for the rest of the presentation. Um, so when I say 12% NSC, I'm, I'm talking 12% dry matter. So where do you go next? Well, the next step is in assessing and evaluating what your horse eats the most of every day, which is forage. Okay. So if your forage is over 12% NSC, I will tell you there is no magic supplement. There is no $60 bag of horse feed that can change that, right? You, you have to start with a low sugar forage. If you're going to have a low sugar diet, plain and simple. Okay. So are you ready to learn the first place that sugar hides? you will find large amounts of sugar in green grass. I have heard it too many times. Someone will say, my horse is overweight. What should I do? And I promise more than one person will reply with, you need to put them out on green pasture and give them a forage only diet. And at that moment, the horse is sentenced to death. I'm just kidding. Maybe not death, but it is certainly a very seriously wrong move. So here's why. Green growing grass undergoes a process called photosynthesis, where the grass takes energy from the sun and turns it into sugar, which is then used as fuel for the grass to grow. Now, this sugar inside the grass also contributes to the daily in sugar intake of a horse. And green pasture can easily contain up to 17% NSC, which is well above the 12% threshold that we're shooting to stay under. Oh, and then also just a side note, sugar levels in the grass will spike in the spring and the fall when nighttime temperatures drop below 40 degrees Fahrenheit. So that makes this grass even riskier to consume during those periods. Okay. The second secret hideout for sugar is in cool season grass hay. Now I'm sure that many of you have gone your entire entire lives, not knowing that your grass hay can consist of either cool season species or warm season species. I mean, why would that matter? <laughs> well, if you are feeding a metabolic horse, it matters a lot because of the way the plants store sugar. 
So warm season species like Bermuda grass use starch as the primary storage carbohydrate. So that makes Bermuda grass lower in sugars and also generally lower in total NSC compared to your cool season grasses. This is because cool season grasses, so examples of those would be um, orchard grass, timothy, brome, fescue, bluegrass, right? Those cool season grasses use a sugar called fructan as the primary storage carbohydrate. And to make matters worse, cool season grasses can accumulate higher amounts of carbohydrates because they store those fructans outside of the chloroplast where there is no limit to the amount of storage space, okay? In warm season plants, starch production and storage is limited to within the chloroplast. So you can't ever really get to this crazy high NSC number in your warm seasons like Bermuda grass in the same way that you can in the cool season haze, right? They're just physiologically not made to, to get that high. Um, now it's always best to test. And if you can't test, then you should lean on warm season grass species like Bermuda grass or even Bahia grass. Um, or you could even lean on a legume like alfalfa. Um, and the reason for that is because all of those plants, they just physiologically cannot store as much sugar as the cool season grasses. So let's say you go out, you buy a load of hay, and you get stuck with a batch of cool season hay that tests well above 12% NSC. Now, assuming you don't have the option to feed it to other horses and just purchase different hay for your metabolic horse, uh, there is one thing you can do to lower the sugar content. You can soak the hay prior to feeding it. Now, I generally recommend a 30 to 60 minute soak in water, and we do this in order to leach out the sugars. So basically, you can pull it out of the water after that time period, drip dry it for a little bit, and then hang that bag of hay, offer it up to your horse. Just be prepared because some horses are not fans of wet hay. So it's possible your horse might refuse to eat um, or at least eat very little for the first few times that you offer it, but just keep at it. And eventually they will learn to like it. <laughs> um, one other thing to note on this concept is, so based on research, a 30 minute soak will generally reduce your NSC content by about 2.3 percentage points. And a 30 minute soak will generally reduce it by about 3.6 percentage points. Okay. So just because you soak your hay doesn't mean that it's safe. We have to understand where we're starting at, right? So if you're starting with an NSC that's over 14 or 15% on a dry matter basis already, um, you might not be able to salvage the hay even with the soaking. Okay. Cause there's just not enough room to gain, to get under that total diet amount. All right. Now that forage is taken care of your next decision will be around how are you going to get the rest of the necessary vitamins and minerals into your horse to balance this diet. Now I want to make a point here that hay alone almost never provides enough in terms of trace minerals and vitamins. So your horse really does need to quote, take his vitamins on a daily basis. Um, and you also may need some extra amino acid support as well, depending on the hay that you decided to feed. So this is where feed and supplements come into play. And this is the third hiding spot for sugar. 
So if you decide to go with a fortified feed to balance your vitamins and minerals, you will want to select something that is low enough in NSC to complement your forage program. You definitely want to avoid all of the cereal grains, right? Things like oats, corn, wheat, barley, milo, sorghum, right? These are all going to be very high in NSC. Like I'm talking over 50%, like over half, and even knocking on the door of 75% NSC in some of them. So unfortunately, you're going to have to say goodbye to your textured sweet feeds if you have a horse with a metabolic condition. Now, let's say your hay tests right at 12% NSC. That means you have zero wiggle room in your grain or feed. Like your grain or feed has to be under 12% in order to keep the total diet under 12%. But on the other hand, if your hay is a little lower, let's say your hay tests 8% NSC. That means you have room on your feed to be a little little bit higher than 12% because your feeding rate is lower on your grain or your feed. So maybe your feed is, let's say a 15% NSC with a feeding rate of say just four pounds a day. Well, the weighted average gets you to a good place and it keeps your total diet NSC below the 10% as fed target. Okay. So this is where math can get a little bit tricky and it might be worth it to reach out to an equine nutritionist to help. But, um, you know, as a safe bet, just you should always lean on fortified feeds that are lower in NSC if you aren't comfortable doing the math. Okay. If you are not sure what the NSC content is of a feed, you can call the manufacturer and a reputable company will be able to tell you what the starch and sugar levels are in the particular feeds that they're manufacturing. Now, another option for balancing the forage, right? Providing these vitamins and minerals that the forage lacks is a ration balancer or a condensed vitamin mineral supplement. Now, many times these will have amino acids built in and the feeding rates are generally going to be small, like as small as, you know, a hundred grams and maybe ranging up to one pound or maybe even two pounds, depending on the product that you choose. Now, it's worth understanding the feeding rate on supplements, right? Because I sometimes will see people get all twisted up about a supplement that has a 17% NSC, but they don't take into account that the feeding rate is hundred grams, right? So it's just a drop in the bucket in terms of the total diet NSC, which is really what we're after. But when you're managing a truly metabolic horse, um, I do think it's worth noting what a supplement contains in terms of starch and sugar even if we know that it's not really going to move the needle that much. Um, and on that note, for people who use PACE, um, don't forget about those PACE. Those can sometimes contain a little bit more sugar, um, unsuspected sugar, hiding sugar. So don't be afraid to reach out to your PACE manufacturer, find out how much extra sugar is being added to the diet, especially if you're using PACE um, often, you know, on a daily basis or multiple times a day. Um, it's really good to, to know that information. Now, the last hiding spot for sugar is in treats. If treats are not a necessity for your program, I strongly recommend that you avoid using them. So depending on the type of treat, they can pack a surprising amount of sugar, 
right? There are obvious offenders like sugar cubes and peppermints, but even apples, prunes, grapes, carrots, oat bars, right? They can, they can pack a higher than expected sugar load. So if you are using manufactured treats, um, I suggest again, reaching out to the company to find out what the NSC content is in those treats. And then I know there are a lot of people who use treats for training purposes, and that requires a lot of treats to be fed each day or in each training session. So in those cases, I like to lean on alfalfa pellets because they're tasty, they're relatively inexpensive, they are low in sugar, and they give a little extra boost even in terms of amino acids and then also some gastric buffering. So at the end of the day, it really is our responsibility as horse owners to manage each horse as an individual, um, especially horses with metabolic conditions. So if, if, you, if we own a metabolic horse, we may need to make some concessions in our own program, right? This horse may not get to be out on pasture 24 seven, like the rest of the crew. Um, you may have to build a small dry lot area for this horse. You may have to source special hay and you may have to make a habit of testing what you buy and buying enough to make it worth testing. Um, you know, you may have to stop using sweet feed and you might have to give up on, on your beloved oats. You may have to feed smaller quantities of a more nutrient dense feed, or, you know, you may need to transition to a diet balance or, or just a strict vitamin mineral supplement instead of a feed. Um, you know, you may also need to get more comfortable with the Henneke body condition scale, uh, and maybe even become friends with someone who has a large animal scale that you can go weigh your horse on. But when it's all said and done, really the ability to help manage the severity or the progression of these metabolic related diseases is completely possible when you really dial in the nutrition program. I want to thank Blue Bonnet Feeds for sponsoring this presentation. They have a team of nutrition consultants who are available to help free of charge. So if anyone needs some assistance sorting through these numbers and making decisions on how to move forward with a metabolic horse, um, you can hop over to the virtual booth here at the show. Um, they can get you a link to get signed up for a free nutrition consult. Um, and then also don't forget to check out my podcast, The Feed Room Chemist, which is available on all of the podcasting apps. And I just want to say thank you, everyone, for joining in today. And I am more than happy to take questions if there are any. And just a warning, there were questions. There are a lot of questions. And if you would like to catch the Q&A session, that is available at the Equisummit webpage. So all you have to do is sign up. There's no cost and you get access to the Q&A session at the end of my seminar. Uh, plus, you can get a replay of every other presenter's session on demand. So I'll be making a social media post for this episode, and I would love to hear if you watched this session live and if you were able to catch any of the other presentations at Equisummit. They had a great group of researchers and nutritionists who talked about some really interesting and applicable things. So hop on over to social media and let's continue the conversation. Thank you for listening to this episode of The Feed Room Chemist. If you like what you hear, be sure to share with your friends, post to social media, or give us a review. And as Winston Churchill used to say, no hour of life is wasted that is spent in the saddle. So go saddle up.